Hey friends, welcome as we jump into Mozambique, Africa. And uh, today we're going to be talking with Ian Christopher. Ian is a brother who's been uh, working in disciple-making movements amongst uh, a number of unreached people there. And uh, he's got some really exciting things to say. But um, before I, I jump into that, I just want to alert you, the listener, that during this podcast, you're going to be hearing a lot of bangs and things coming through. Ian is literally sitting under a tin roof in northern Mozambique with seeds falling on the tin roof. That sounds like uh, he's in a war zone or something, but it gives dramatic presence and ambience and all that. So you're going to enjoy the sounds of uh, tin roofs, Mozambique, and Ian Christopher. Uh, Ian, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Dave, for having me. Pleasure and honor. Brother, we're, we're really blessed, and I've just been going through your book, uh, Making Disciples and Leading Others to Make Them. Ian, I've really, really enjoyed your book. I think it's really beneficial to for anyone who, who would be making disciples to jump into your story. Um, what made you write, uh, write the book? Yeah, um, <clears throat> it sounds a bit cliche when I say God made me write the book, but that is the truth of it. Um, I was running... Maybe six months or a year ago, I was running as I like to do and kind of just pray while I'm running. And I felt like the Lord kept showing me um, self-published books. And uh, so I just asked him, I said, are you really asking me to write a book? You know, I've been against that for a long time. And uh, the Lord said, yeah, I want you to share what I taught you in central Mozambique. And I said, oh, that makes sense. Six months later, I had a book. It's awesome. I really enjoyed it, and uh, I want to thank you for writing it. It's um, going to be a great encouragement to to many, and we'll be posting the link uh, to the book on the podcast page. So if you want to, the listener, access the book and have a listen, um, it's great. I found it on on um, the Apple Books under audiobooks, so I downloaded it. Hey, and tell us a little bit about your journey from from U.S. to Africa, and, and, and let us get to know you a little bit. Sure. Yeah, so I was born and raised in Riverside, California, a city boy till I was about 12. And uh, after that, I moved to Alaska, which for anybody in the West knows, that's a dramatic change. And so I went kicking and screaming to Alaska um, of my four bro- of my three brothers, there's four of us, but of my three brothers, I was the one that did not want to go. And surprisingly, I, I believe like the Lord really planted the most seeds in me while I was there, and uh, mm. it really benefited my life. Riverside was um, where I met the Lord. So my my dad grew up um, not believing in the Lord. He's from New York. He was a musician, and my mom grew up in the Lutheran Church. So. Uh, very uh, reformed and conservative. They were both only children, which is weird because my dad's Italian. And uh, mm. but they it, then they ended up having a lot of kids. And so while I was growing up there, around eight or nine, um, my dad, a few years before, was radically saved, and he used to get into the Word a lot. And the type of um, church that he was in. I'm kind of a Baskin Robbins of churches as we grew in the Lord. And uh, we would go to a Lutheran church at eight in the morning and a Baptist church at nine thirty, And uh, it was quite the mix. And so during that time, my, my dad was really in the word of God and 
Sunday schools I was learning through the Word of God. A lot of differences from now, actually. And then one evening he asked me and my brother, like, hey, you guys want to go through the Bible with me? And I said, yeah. So after dinner, we would sit and listen, me and my older brother. And I remember he was going through the book of Revelation. And at that time, that's not a book that, sorry about the seeds. I'll talk about the parable of the sower later. But there's, I think that's the, I think that's the sound that Jesus hears when the seed doesn't go in. Bang, bang. Like, that's probably how urgent we should be about it as well. Um, and so one, one evening I realized, man, like the bigness of that book of revelation so intrigued me that I was like, yeah, God, this is, this Jesus is the the Lord. And my, my dad's always been a student that way. And so he kind of just walked us through it. So yeah, I came to the Lord through the book of revelation, which is weird. I was baptized at eight or nine and then around 17, 16 in Alaska, I had had, I won't go into it, but I had two really big encounters with the Lord around 14 and around 16 that were kind of earth shattering. Like, mm, mm. and so then uh, after those encounters, I really knew that the Lord is with me. But the seed that was dropped was two times someone called out missions, basically. And worship and stuff like that and I both times it was the same guy a thousand miles away or different in different distance and uh, the first time I encountered the Holy Spirit big time in the process the next time the whole group experienced the power of God and uh, it was very interesting but at the time I knew like so from that 16 to 18 time is when I, I really answered the call of the Lord of my life. But I was also wrestling with um, the passion to play baseball uh, for pretty much since I was young. And in Alaska, it's kind of a, a hidden gem up there of baseball during the summer. And so I was really wrestling with that being a God, that being an idol. And I, you know, and I didn't, I didn't know at the time the Lord was really using it to protect my heart from drugs and alcohol and all the other stuff that that goes into high school in a lonely place like Alaska and things like that. And so that drew me in selfishly was I got to protect my my sport, you know, and then first two years of college that changed that shifted and I realized, OK, I'm, I'm probably not going to be playing baseball for the rest of my life. I may be coaching things like that. And then when I met my wife, she had similar goals. And what was interesting was I knew missions was going to be in the future. And when I met my wife, I knew missions was going to be in the future. But I never thought the continent of Africa. It was literally the last the last thing. I thought Japan, Australia, South America. And my wife, since she was four or five, she was like, I'm supposed to do medical missions in Africa. And, uh, and so we began our journey and the Lord made us wait, you know, 15 years and three boys and five pregnancies. And I was at the, the height of a, a, a worship songwriting ministry that the Lord had shifted another new thing in me. And so I kind of took the mantle from my dad that I think was on his life. Um, and then we moved to Africa. It was like within 24 months or 12 months of the, the Lord opening the door, we went. But it, it started, 
you know, 1996, 7, 8 in there, when we both had the call in our life, we were walking around Grand Canyon University campus. We were talking about missions. We had a vision. But it started back then, but we waited and kind of held that close to our heart for 15 years. And then the Lord was faithful and sent us. He, he chose us to go. And so we went. February of 2015, we landed. Um, it was similar heat to what I'm experiencing right now at 630 in the morning. I remember laying in the bed with my wife going, what have I done? Like, what have we done? <laughs> you know, my kids are in this sm- small little room and we're on a safe base and everything, but we're just melting in the room, you know, and, every, you know, the pot, just everything was so different that leading up to it, it, it was amazing what your heart wants to do to turn back and be like, no, 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 I can't do this. And the boys handled it great. Um, in that point, we, we weren't, looking to move to the north. We were in central Mozambique working with the Shona people. And we had been there about maybe six months, seven months, when the Lord really started showing me what I would be doing. Up to that point, Carl and I always minister together really well, but her gifting is really in the medical field with palliative care and hospice and dealing with end of life and wound care and but spiritually, we both do very well binding up the brokenhearted and moving prophetically with people's hearts and um, kind of inner, dis, inner discipling. And so we were, we were waiting on the Lord for that. The Lord was like shifting things. So for 20 years, I was the visionary. I could see it a year down, five years, 10 years down the road. And she was like living in the moment. And she does that very well. And then the Lord told me on my last six months of touring with the music, he told me, I'm going to shift that and you're not going to be able to see past June. And I said, okay. And you can see in my calendar where I scheduled events and like it just stops. And, uh, and so I waited and when we landed, I was happy with that because I just wanted to serve. I just wanted to be in the mission field doing whatever I could. And that base was mostly females. And so I thought, Hey, I can, I'm not a handyman, but I can learn to do, you know, put up mosquito nets and do what I need to do. And I'll meet people. I'll learn Portuguese. And when God's ready, he'll do it. And at the same time that was happening, the Lord had really changed my heart about hearing the voice of man. There was, we went through a couple of years of just really removing the voice of man in our life. Um, whether it was careers or leadership, you know, I had a very successful financial service business for the years leading up to that Mozambique move. We gave that up. I stepped down from it. Like, and I stopped reading leadership books. I stopped. That's part of the reason I didn't think I'd ever write a book. Not that I, I love books, but I, I just didn't want to, there, there's a fine line between biblical leadership and actual leadership. They, they tend to be very convoluted in my, in my opinion. But it's a thin line. And sometimes we, we label leadership biblical just because we strapped a verse to it or something. And what I was finding was the Lord is, and if you've done that, I'm not, I'm not like condemning people right now, but if that's what it was doing to me, I was, I was in the leadership field. And so I could see that difference. And for me, I was like, I just need to be obedient. Like I just need to hear the voice of the Lord and do it. And that's the right, that's where leadership should start. Yeah. Wow. And 
And I learned that in coaching and baseball and all that, it it lined up with Jesus's words. And so when we hit the ground, the Lord told me, I'm not going to tell you what you're going to be doing for a few months. And you'll get a kick out of this, Dave. Uh, The Lord tells me I'm praying on my face one night. Carla jumped into the field. So she's like immediately partnered, going out into the bush twice a week, helping with palliative care and with this other lady, build this palliative care ministry. And I'm with the boys. We're going to the village, playing with the kids, hanging out with people, trying to learn Portuguese. And I'm on my face one night and the Lord says, okay, here's what's going to happen. The leader of the base is going to ask you to lead, not lead, but to administrate a soccer camp that's going to come from Australia. And I, I've been there three or four months. I don't have any contacts other than they're going to give me. I'm going to have to drive around and try to be creative, which is my past. I can do that. Sure enough, the next day, hey, we've got this this team coming from from Adelaide or whatever. And I'm like, okay. And this guy, Liam, who was leading it, I was just on his podcast recently. He is a, he's, oh, he's a legend. He comes with. He used to play professional soccer. I think maybe for Ireland or something back in the day. And he came with these guys wanting to reach the gospel. And I did it. I, I made the contacts for them. I I sent them out. I found some help. And the Lord said, "When that's done, I'm going to tell you everything you're doing." And I said, "Okay." So we ship them off. I drive them to Barrow. We fly them out. I'm on my face the next morning. And then he says, come back to me that night. So I came back that night and just download. And so that led us to about a year of uh, jail, discipleship jail ministry. Um, I, we ended up creating a school for hearing God, a basic school for just hearing God in the bush. That was a three-year school that we brought the community in, let them hear from God. They built the curriculum. I just, I just went and all the passages of scripture they read down, I typed them up, put them in a curriculum and said, look at, look what God's done through you. Um, because I didn't want to build a school with the voice of man. And so we ended up getting shipped to the North in the third year of that. And so I really don't know the fruit. There could be, from what I'm hearing, it's still going amazing. But the, 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 that was about a two year journey in central Mozambique. Uh, Carla's palliative care with her partner was amazing. Um, but we had gotten to a point with another Australian colleague that was on base with us that had just moved where we were about to move into the village. We were going to go off base and move into the village. We felt like we needed to learn the dialect and the Lord had started showing me DMM and I didn't know the wording for it. I just knew that I had come to that point where I was like, I just want to read the words of Jesus and the book of Acts. And I spent man, the better part of a year in John one, chapter one alone, fresh bread, just fresh bread. And then he said, read the book of Acts. And I read that over and over and I realized, okay, this is, this is what I did in the art of hearing this art of hearing God's school. We call it the tree of life was what he was downloading and showing me. And I said, well, now, now I need to be a practitioner with my neighbors. So I did it with a group of people and some pastors and their regular women, children, teenagers, community weekly for months about 20 kilometers away but now it was like i need to find someone in the community which is natural for me and i that's when i found this muslim kid named life we call him vita in the book and uh that's what the name for life is in portuguese and so he is doing well still uh we had a miraculous encounter it's in the book but basically the lord showed me that 
a, a heart for for the Muslims, for Islamic culture that I didn't know how to enter into. And when and when that exploded, and we started baptizing people, they started planting groups. Uh, a friend of mine from Malawi, a guy named Jeff, had contacted me to go with him to uh, the Catalyst Camp. So I went a couple years before you guys this last time, and uh, it was amazing. And so in that encounter, as we were getting to know Jeff, the Lord was telling me and my family that we were going to be moving north. Yeah. And at the same time, this Aussie couple who we loved so much had gone on furlough and had some challenges and the Lord had decided to hold them back. They weren't going to come back. So we weren't going to be moving into the village together anyway. And through a course of some dreams and some other stuff, some just really cool God moments, we, we knew that the Lord was calling us north. We were going to be a pioneer couple for this base and expand into the territory where our leader wanted to go originally. And uh, there was already a house and stuff up here. And so uh, it was hard on the boys, you know, like the boys had learned Portuguese. They were running around with friends. Um, our first five months, my boys in- encountered an evacuation because of the political war that was going on, bullets flying and stuff. So they had a bond with these kids. And the Lord told us to leave. And so our boys learned about a call within a call and having to start over. And, uh, and, when, and when we got up to the north, it was a, a four-year journey of learning the dialect because these people don't speak Portuguese up here, trying to maintain our Portuguese because the government does. Um, we live in the village with the people we have an Azungu house. It's a bigger house because the missionaries that built it before us. But we're literally without fences in the village mm. and uh, off the beaten path a little bit, semi-close to Malawi. And in that process, the Lord showed me that it was going to be Muslims. That's who you're going to be working with. Ian, I'm just um, I'm really keen to jump into this next phase. But I, I just want to just unpack some things with you. Number one is the call of God into missions. And and um, you're talking about, you know, this, this power encounter with the Holy Spirit and, and God, God putting his, his hand on you. Um, do, you. Do you think everybody's called to go to cross-cultural missions and we need, all need to go to Africa, number one? And how do you know if you're called? What's the, what's the calling thing? Just draw that out a little bit for us. Dave, I love it. I love that I finally am getting to meet you, and I love that you pushed us in the deep end right away. Now, I, my my level of love Davo meter just went way up. I love it. It's so good. I think that's the question so many people are asking, right? Like, mm. and that, especially if we really are toiling with what's missions, am I supposed to be a part of it? Am I supposed to go? If there's that hunger and fire in us, that question has to come up. Um, and in the West, for us, you know this for many years, that question can be tossed around. Like, many are called, but few are chosen. And I actually, I really feared the Lord on that question, like, on that verse. Um, if we have two minutes, I'll share what happened. I, I do believe that everyone's called. Mm. So, so my opinion on that, just reading the words of Jesus over and over. I mean, Matthew 28 is pretty clear. But for me, the Lord had a long season where I just lived in John 17. Mm. 
And John 17 for me was not just a unity passage. I, the Lord showed me, he said, this was going to be your portion. And he had me dive into John 17 for about as long as I delve into John 1. They've been very parallel for me. And the, the biggest two things was not just what I, not just through the words of these ones I trained only, but for those that it will reach. So the, who the disciples would reach after the resurrection, Jesus is very clear. Those are the ones that I can't even, he couldn't even mention in John 17 that are going to be called and that are going to have the same option to say yes to get out of the boat. And, and what that dynamic looks like was going to be different. You'd have to, you know, Paul says it later, you're going to have to wrestle that down with fear and trembling. As far as salvation goes, but the calling of God on your life, man, like you see this pattern after John 17 of everybody getting the opportunity. And in John, John 17, the beginning, when he says, you know, this is eternal life, that they would know this. There's this tie right after he says, I glorified you with the work that I accomplished. And you think, man, the cross hasn't even happened yet. He's like maybe 24 hours away from dying. What's the work? And it's like, oh, well, Jesus has been discipling guys. It took him three years. So at the very least, we should invest three years of our life all in as close as we can doing what he did. And hopefully we don't die in the process. I mean, Jesus said we'll never die. And so for me, that calling part was big because um, there's, a, there's a definite switch between called and chosen. Mm. And as an ex-baseball player mm. who for most of my life played at a high level, the chosen part, I understood. We were all called to play baseball on the team. But not everybody was going to bat number four in the lineup. And so one of my key strengths growing up in baseball was that I played for the team. If the coach told me the first two strikes are yours and the last strike is mine, you need to choke up on the bat and you need to put the ball in play on the last strike, I didn't swing for the fences. I made sure something was going to happen on that third strike because my mindset was, I'm chosen. Mm. And I think that played out, and I hope someone listen to that, hopefully that metaphor can like make it simple. I would encourage you to just go to the gospel and wrestle that down. But my opinion on that is not everyone is chosen. And I, I don't think it's because God's saying you're not picked. That's not what I'm saying. I think we de-choose ourselves. I think we choose to not obey. We choose to not listen. I'm writing about this now in a second writing I'm doing. The parable of the sower is really this amazing passage on discipleship that we think is just on salvation. Most people get stuck in soil three because the cares of this world choke it out. And it says that the, it does bear fruit, but it's not good fruit. It's not abundant. It's not and so that chosen part, I think we choose, the chosen part is we're a part of the choosing. And the reason I can say that on my own encounter, I'm not like a theologian or something other than the hours I've spent with the Father in His presence, but a few months before we left for Africa, I told you my wife always knew she was going to Africa and my call I felt was in a different country. 
And I needed that. I needed to know that in my spirit. And so one day I'm in the shower a few months before. I'm still leading worship as an interim worship pastor at a small little church two month, two weeks out of the month before we're going to leave. And those ch- churches were kind of helping us get to Africa. And one of them is a little tiny church in Cottonwood, Arizona. And I was being faithful to go. And this guy a year before is like, this pastor is like, I think you're supposed to lead the worship. I think you're supposed to actually preach when you're here. And I think you're supposed to help our leadership team hear from the Lord about reconciliation and whatever the, the, the Lord's been doing that we're not obeying in. And I'm like, okay, so my family once a month would go up there and we'd stay all day long, sleep in the parsonage and invest in this church. And during a few months before, I'm in the shower and I said, Lord, I've got to know I'm chosen. This exact question you're asking. So I'm crying out in the shower. Lord, I know I'm called. I've known I've been called since 1996. My wife knows. I need to know I'm chosen for Africa. Because if I'm not, I don't want some, one of my family members or me to die prematurely because of my own Uh, pride or my own big headedness or jumping ahead of you and loud as day I heard him say I'll tell you in nine days and so I every morning for nine days was on my face and I reminded him father you told me to tell me in nine days thank you so much I appreciate it right morning number nine I'm driving to Cottonwood with my family early to do worship and preach. And I, I'm literally in the middle of the warm-up. And this is a tiny little church. I'm warming up, sound booth guy, whatever. And as I'm warming up, prophetic moment hits. I'm weeping over this song. And I'm just like, the presence of God's in the room. And one of my friend's wife, who I've known for a long time, long story, she's pacing in the back with the Word of God open. And I know she has a word for me. And I don't know why. It's just in that moment. And my heart is on the people of Cottonwood. Like my focus is on serving the Lord that day. But I know she's got something. So we get done with warm with with uh, this time of prayer. And she makes a beeline for me. And she stares at me and goes, what happened to you at 13? Or 14, yeah. And I said, immediately, I remembered one of those two encounters in Alaska. And I had forgotten about this second one. And I started weeping because I realized what the Lord had done in that second call from the same guy with the same words where he's like, who will go for me, right? When the Lord speaks twice, it's a witness. Yeah. And, and, I, and I'm weeping because I know what she's going to say. And she goes, that's when God chose you. And I'm like, all right, like that's it. So the only thing I have to figure out is why he didn't tell me. He had told me I'll tell you in 10 days. I said, and so why didn't he tell me in 10 days? Because that's day nine. So the next morning I wake up. I'm joyful. I'm like, thankful. Lord, this is amazing. Like, so thankful. But why didn't you tell me in, nine, in 10 days? He goes, I am. I'm confirming it right now with you. You're on your face. You're asking me and I'm telling you. But I revealed it early. And I'm like, 
Oh, my goodness. And he goes, I didn't say it. She did. That's what he tells me. I didn't say it. She did. <laughs> and I'm like, and that's been, that's been the relationship with the father. And so part of my answer, and I hope you get this, Dave, is that relationship with the father is what helps us determine what we're chosen to do. But everybody's called. Everybody's called. Ian, that's just an awesome story about um, the Holy Spirit and his calling and, you know, this encounter plus invitation. I just love the idea of you encounter God and then he invites you in. And uh, then then he your call is actually in that place of intimacy and the word of God. Um, do you want to just finish us uh, this podcast just with a word of encouragement for us? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I just I'm in fact, yeah, in in the book, I think I write this is to the faceless ones who are going to answer right that call and the ones that are going to have the courage to to go forth and do that. And that is really my heart for you listening out there, wherever you're at. Um, I know those moments um, in the dark. I know months before listening to the Switchfoot song, Restless, over and over and over and crying and asking the Lord, why is this in me if we're not gone yet, if we haven't gone yet? And I know that the Lord is so faithful to prepare your hearts. And so if that's you, I just want to encourage you that he has a plan for you to reach the people that he has for you. If you'll say yes, if you will ask him for the invitation, he's probably already invited you, but he loves to hear that, that desire from you to say, father, I'm willing send me. What do you want me to do? How do you want me to do it? Um, stay away from the why questions and just ask, what do you want me to know about this father? And he is so happy to tell you his strategy for the world. Father, I just, I just bless those who are listening to this and who maybe do have a fire to hear you say, I want you to go. And um, before Isaiah went, you purified his lips as he confessed, I'm a sinful man, just like Peter did. I'm a sinful man. Depart from me. And then you told them who they were. You said, no, no, I'm going to make you to become fishers of men. I pray right now, Lord, that those listening to this will have the courage enough to speak the truth of who they think they are so that he can tell them who they really are and that your incredible guidance will lead them into places that they can only imagine for sake of your glory and what you want to see happen in this world. We declare that over those hearing this in the name of Jesus. Amen. 